Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. The relationship between Hollywood and history is a little wobbly. All too often, the old adage, never let the facts get in the way of a good story, is all too obvious, despite the best intentions of producers and screenwriters. I'm not just talking about flagrant lapses, medieval princesses looking up and saying, why, Sir Jasper, can I fix you a drink? Or Napoleon advising his generals, let me get back to you on that. Sometimes the events have to be changed too. Suppose the ambassador from the French comes back, tells Harry that the king does offer him Catherine, his daughter, and with her to dowry some petty and unprofitable dukedoms. The offer likes him not. And the nimble gunner, with Linstock now, the devilish cannon touches, and down goes all before them! The fact is, real life is messy and generally refuses to fit a traditional three-act structure, unless, like Shakespeare, you move things around a bit. Making sense of reality is the trick, and nowhere is it more evident than when it's a story not of the distant past, but within our own memory. I eat breakfast 300 yards from 4,000 Cubans who were trained to kill me, so don't think for one second you can come down here, flash a badge, and make me nervous. You men follow orders or people die. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth. Playwright and screenwriter Aaron Sorkin has made modern Americans look a little harder at themselves ever since he forced them to handle the truth in 1992's A Few Good Men. His biopics of the two men who helped shape the 21st century, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg in The Social Network and Apple's Steve Jobs in the film of the same name, lifted the mundane to the almost Shakespearean at times. You're not an engineer. You're not a designer. You can't put a hammer to a nail. I built the circuit board. The graphical interface was stolen. So how come, ten times in a day, I read Steve Jobs as a genius? Sorkin's latest film, he directed it as well as wrote it, comes courtesy of Netflix, though if you get a chance to see it at a cinema, I strongly urge you to do so. The trial of the Chicago 7 reminds us that baby boomers were once young and idealistic and prepared to do whatever it took to stop the war in Vietnam. The judge gets to decide what we're facing. It is a goddamn trial. Political trial. No, we were arrested. For, the law doesn't recognize political no, trials. No, no, we weren't arrested. We were chosen. Sometimes, however, real life is too intractable to be captured and implicitly solved in a two-hour movie. Palestine has defied summing up for millennia. Maybe that's why Palestinian director Elias Suleiman decided the only way to treat their history is through surreal comedy. Yeah, let me present you to my very good friend. He's doing a comedy right now about peace in the Middle East. That's funny already. 
I have to say, it must be heaven has divided audiences. Some rave, some shrug. And there's a similar lack of agreement with the new Sofia Coppola film, On the Rocks. Is it a light-hearted romp or painfully and tastelessly thin? All young girls should know how to shuffle and how to... Bluff. Bluff, right. <laughs> and how do you bluff? Poker face. Poker face. Poker face. On the Rocks is a great title, though. Laura's marriage is in trouble. She turns for advice to her cocktail-swigging playboy father, played by Coppola favourite Bill Murray. It's a good week for baby boomer icons, in other words, and nowhere more than in The Trial of the Chicago 7. You know why you're on trial here? The Chicago 7 will ring bells for people of a certain age. In the late 60s, battle lines had been drawn between the establishment, supported by the police, and the rising new generation, armed mostly with flowers. All the power was in the hands of the powers that be, but not for long. The wildly unpopular Vietnam War had become the tipping point. Martin's dead. Bob is dead. Jesus is dead. They tried it peacefully. We're going to try something else. Stopping the war was the one issue uniting a wide range of factions, all demanding immediate change. Things came to a head in Chicago in 1968 at the Democrat Party convention. There was trouble. The Chicago police under Mayor Daley overreacted. But in the end, eight protesters were arrested for inciting a riot. People say, you know, Abby, are you concerned about an overreaction from the cops? Holy shit. You all right? I'm worse until I saw that. The trial became a sensation for weeks and for several reasons. Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7 lists them, and it's particularly riveting viewing for people like me who thought they had a pretty good handle on these events. We want to underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're given permits or not, we're coming. We're going to Chicago to protest the Vietnam War. And there's no place to be right now but in it. The title, The Trial of the Chicago 7, might need clarifying. There were actually eight defendants in the courtroom. Number eight, the Black Panther, Bobby Seale, shouldn't have even been there. His lawyer was in hospital at the time. But Judge Julius Hoffman decided to lump him in with the other defendants anyway. I call this portion of the trial with friends like these. My trial's begun without my lawyer. The court assumes you are being represented by the Black Panther sitting behind you. Judge Hoffman, played by Frank Langella, soon becomes the major player in the drama. He clearly thinks this trial is his own personal crusade and he's not going to let little things like the law or the Constitution get in his way. But he's got competition for the spotlight. Come in, Abby Hoffman. No relation. You hoped for a confrontation with the police that your plans for the convention were designed specifically to draw the police into a confrontation. Well, if I'd known it was going to be the first wish of mine that came true, I would have aimed a lot higher. 
Abby Hoffman, a well-cast Sasha Baron Cohen, comes across as the clown prince of the protest movement. But it's partly an act. Despite the Groucho Marx on drugs persona, Hoffman is dead serious about wanting change. But his style puts him in regular conflict with the straight-laced Tom Hayden, played by another English actor, Eddie Redmayne. We have to make a decision right now, a decision I just assumed we'd already made four months ago when trial prep began. Are we using this trial to defend ourselves against very serious charges that could land us in prison for ten years? The rest of the seven are a mixed bunch. Students, conscientious objectors, hippies and yippies. But that's the point. They're accused of the catch-all charge of conspiracy, but in fact many of them had never even met before the trial. Are the people ready to make opening arguments? At the defense table. Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Dave Dellinger, Rennie Davis, Lee Weiner, John Freund, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale. These defendants had a plan, and the plan was to incite a riot. The two people trying to give the trial some dignity are the prosecutor, Richard Schultz, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and the celebrity defense lawyer, William Kunstler. Mark Rylance, once again, as the voice of decency. The riots were started by the Chicago Police Department. Sustained. Nobody objected. Jurors 6 and 11, they're with us. Juror number 6 and juror number 11, you're dismissed from this jury. Can you tell us why? Because this is my courtroom. But no amount of legal professionalism could disguise the fact that this case should never have gone to trial. And once it had, it shouldn't have been in the control of this judge, a man seriously out of his depth, and who, at the time, seemed to offer an all-time low in both law and ethics. This is what revolution looks like, real revolution. We may have to hurt somebody's feelings. Is this prosecution politically motivated? I'm tired of hearing you. It would be impossible for me to care any less what you are tired of. The trial came to a scandalous head when Bobby Seale finally refused to be browbeaten by Judge Hoffman anymore. He stood up to represent himself and was punished and humiliated in a way that appalled even the prosecutors. We've dealt with jury tampering, wiretapping, a defendant that was literally gagged. Get your hands off me! You're the first to suggest that I have discriminated against a black man. Then let the record show that I'm the second. It's easy to see this as well-known liberal Aaron Sorkin using past injustices as a stick to beat the subsequent faults of conservative America over the years. But Sorkin's too good a writer to rely on cheap shots like that. Neither the left nor the right get an easy ride in the trial of the Chicago 7. Heroes make mistakes, villains get their day in court, even clowns achieve nobility in the end. When we walked in here this morning, they were chanting that the whole world is watching. If we leave here without saying anything about why we came in the first place, it'll be heartbreaking. And Sorkin has been given the one thing that real life needs to become serious drama. Time. Fifty years on, we now pretty much know what happened, not just at the time, but afterwards. Some scars healed, many didn't, and the end results are still with us now. When you came to Chicago, were you hoping to draw the police into a confrontation? Most fact-based drama sets out to show what happened. Some dig deeper to find out why it happened, and a very few, like the trial of the Chicago 7, try to show why it still matters. I'm concerned you have to think about it. Give me a moment, would you, friend? I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. 
When I watch the hour and a half of deadpan surrealism that is It Must Be Heaven, written and directed by Ilya Suleiman, who also plays the lead, I kept waiting for something to happen. But it's not really that sort of film. Like Suleiman playing, we assume, a version of himself, the best we can do is watch what takes place in front of us. <laughs> The opening act takes place in Nazareth, Suleiman's hometown and these days a prosperous-looking Middle East city. Suleiman spends his mornings sipping coffee, looking at people going past... Wait, what did that man place under that car? Was it a bomb? ..and chatting to his neighbours. I'm not a thief, says the man picking lemons off someone else's tree. But later it turns out he is a thief, but it's all someone else's fault. The security of Nazareth is in the hands of a trio of policemen who roller skate in formation past Suleiman's house. No one investigates the bomb, incidentally. The activities in Nazareth continue in a series of unconnected, unexplained and possibly symbolic scenes. The only thing linking them is the presence of Suleiman, middle-aged, bemused and silent. He goes for a drive out into the countryside, a trip that magically leaves the earth and lifts into the sky. Bienvenue à Paris. Merci. Our man is in a plane that eventually alights in France. Perhaps now he's gone somewhere else, events may become clearer. Suleiman catches the metro where he's glowered at by a mysterious Parisian gangster for a few stops. But nothing eventuates and Suleiman arrives at his destination, a French film company who might be interested in backing his latest film. They tell him that Palestine is very cool right now, but they're a little concerned that this isn't what they were expecting. It's not angry enough. It's not Palestinian enough. There's not much Suleiman can do about this, so he silently goes out into the street. And there, suddenly, tanks go past. Also planes. A display of military might. Is that what this film is about? But before we can start inflicting any interpretation on the proceedings, we're interrupted by two Japanese tourists. Are you Brigitte? We are looking for Brigitte. Since Suleiman is clearly not Brigitte, he shrugs and moves on. Is he going to say anything in this movie? Yes, he is. He gets into a taxi and the American driver turns and chats to him. Once again, Suleiman has travelled when we weren't looking and now he's in New York being asked a direct question. Obviously, it's rude not to answer. What country do you come from? I'm Palestinian. Palestinian? I've never seen a Palestinian. 
Well, guess what? This ride is on me. Now, I imagine I'm starting to infuriate people who are simply waiting to find out what exactly it must be heaven is trying to say and whether it's saying effectively. And the only answer I can give you is, it depends. If you're in the mood for a series of slightly absurd scenes, very nicely shot, I should add, that circle the subjects of national identity, the duties of the police, political correctness and the role of cinema in asking questions, this may very well be your film. Le Monde calls it pure poetry, if that's any help, while Liberation is slightly more muted, calling it genial. And while I spent rather more time than I like scratching my head through this film, that's the sound of a lot of men, women and children walking around New York armed to the teeth, by the way, the images stayed with me longer than I expected. Yeah, let me present you to my very good friend, Elias Suleiman. He's a Palestinian filmmaker. Nice to meet you. But he makes funny films. Mm-hmm. He's doing a comedy right now about peace in the Middle East. That's funny already. Maybe Mexican actor Gael Garcia Bernal, who turns up unexpectedly at a New York production office, offers the best description of It Must Be Heaven. A comedy about peace. Why not? Though, maybe change the title. It's called Heaven Can Wait. Okay, Uh, Sweetie, we're sort of late, so do you mind if we go now? Yes. Good luck with your film. Uh, It was a pleasure to meet you. Sofia Coppola's latest film, On the Rocks, seems to be a case study in daddy issues. Both Sofia, who wrote and directed the film, and her star, Rashida Jones, have larger-than-life fathers. And the co-star of the film is Coppola's regular muse, the comedian Bill Murray, once again playing an ageing playboy. Hi, Dad. Hey, kiddo. Oh, my gosh, do you look beautiful. You live. How's your mom's hip? Good, thanks. Good. He thinks you're my girlfriend. Right. I have no idea, obviously, how closely the relationship between Laura and her father Felix mirrors that of Sophia and Francis Ford Coppola, or indeed that of Rashida and her much-married father, musician Quincy Jones. Clearly, as they say on social media, it's complicated. Been busy? Yeah. Dean's travelling with clients all the time, and I'm just the buzzkill waiting to schedule things. I'm so stuck. On the Rocks opens with Laura's husband, Dean, spending a lot of time away on business. What that business is is a little vague, something that requires a lot of travel with attractive workmates. And Laura, who took time off from her own writing career to have two young daughters, is trying to start again. So Dean's going away a lot, huh? On business trips? Dad. Raise your hand if that sounds fishy. He's not like you. He's a good guy, a great dad. Sure. Who better to offer advice about badly behaved males than her dad, who wrote the book on the subject? Now, I don't know how sleazy this character might have been if he weren't played by the permanently charming Bill Murray. Fortunately, I don't need to know, since he is played by Bill. It's nature. Males are forced to fight, to dominate, and to impregnate all females. 
Murray and Sofia Coppola have history since teaming up for the classic Lost in Translation, a film that defied the odds and, indeed, taste to remain many people's favourite movie. I liked it too, though I'm not quite sure why now. A romance, albeit platonic, between a 17-year-old and a 53-year-old, even one played by Bill Murray, would be a harder sell these days. Maybe he's just not interested in me anymore. Impossible. A woman is at her most beautiful between the ages of 35 and 39. Great. So I have many months left. Here, at least, he's actually playing Laura's father and keen to help. The best thing to do with a straying husband, he suggests knowledgeably, is to catch him in the act. So the unlikely dynamic duo start tailing Dean. And along the way, Laura wonders if she's somehow to blame for being too dull for her high-flying husband. He should be worshipping the ground you walk on. And if he's doing something dishonourable, you need to know. What if Dean's just busy? I'm in a rut. That's it. I think we should follow him. What? I think you better see him in action. Felix offers questionable consolation with advice gleaned from a lifetime of inappropriate behaviour. And always you wonder whether Felix would get away with this if he weren't being played by Bill Murray. But it seems women of all ages can't resist Bill from 70 to 7. Does my foot smell funny? Because <laughs> I was wondering... We're watching Breaking Bad. What? It's really good. It's a great show. Have you seen it? Yes, I have seen it. It's great. It's not for kids. What? Was there something bad on? No. Murray is undeniably as entertaining as always and has a good time as the disreputable dinosaur from the era before Me Too. Rashida Jones is best known for being rather better than she need be in a range of TV comedies. Here, she does what she can with that always unpromising role of the no-fun mum. Can you just act a little less excited about this? Because this is my life and it might be falling apart. This is Sofia Coppola's mid-period Woody Allen movie, I suppose. And while the chemistry between Rashida and Bill is endearing and often very funny, there does need to be a little more substance to the story than On the Rocks is giving us. This is your idea of incognito? Coming through! Here's the plaza. This is the place to have an affair. It has the most exits. Exits on three streets. Bill as a sort of ageing rat packer is fun. He did the same thing in Lost in Translation, of course. But his charm, augmented here with wealth, taste and often unlikely dollops of luck, starts to fade a little as the film goes on. I don't know why women get plastic surgery. Because of men like you. I prefer the factory original. <laughs> yeah, and every other make and model. Thank you. I'm going to take that as a compliment. As I say, could he get away with it if he weren't Bill Murray? I think even Sophia Coppola realises that when she gets an exasperated Laura to say more than once, it must be wonderful being you. Which brings this show to a close. Next time, Robert Kelly discovers whether it's wonderful fronting this show for a couple of weeks while I take a brief break. But I hope you'll join him at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. 
To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.